Here we go. My name's Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 569. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. Um, you keep going in and out. What about now? Yeah, like when you, you're yeah, turning away. Yeah, it's because away. I was looking the wrong way. It's okay. my fault. Um, on today's show, um, point to the moon. Point to the moon. Um, which is something that Kathy is doing. Are you pointing to the moon, sweetie? Well, I hope so. Fly me to the moon. And then the other song I think of when it comes to moon, let's swim to the moon. Uh-huh. Let's climb through the tides. Sounds like a Doors song. It is. Um, I, don't, I don't even know if I got the words right. Does it remind you of the dark side of the moon? Ooh, God, there's so many musical cues I could be pulling up right now, I but know. instead I'm not. Don't do that one hour-long song, though. Oh, that's Shine On You Crazy Diamond. Shine On You Crazy Diamond. Shine On. So I won't uh, subject our listeners to that. Um, so I think we need to read it. It's not long. You sure? Yeah. So Kathy does this thing called Zen Parenting Moment that you can get in your inbox every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. It started, we're recording this early, so technically this started yesterday, but by now you will have seen three of them, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And four of them, because the next Monday there will be another. Actually, the first one wasn't, it was just an update. you're right. But um, you want to say why you decided to do this before I read it? Sure. So there's a few reasons, but uh, what I'll share is that, um, I don't know, two or three weeks ago, I realized that all the email I get, it either feels stressful or overwhelming, or it's bad news from the world. And I was thinking about how... um, you know, like my Facebook feed and my Instagram feed, I get to curate it and decide what I see when. And with email, though, we don't really get to do that, right? Like we just have to open our email and look at it. And one of the things that I've really appreciated um, through the years is getting people's emails like Daily Ohm or Notes from the Universe or Zen Habits. And I wanted to receive that but I also wanted to create that. I wanted to offer that to people where in their inbox on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, they'd see Zen Parenting Moment and it would be something helpful and hopeful and maybe grounding for the day because sometimes the things you open up in the morning set the tone for the day. I totally believe in that. Um, and so I, so again, you know, the other things I mentioned, Daily Omen, Notes from the Universe, those are every day. Mine is Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, that's at least how I'm starting out. But I also just wanted to share some things I've been writing for the past four years. Sure. Um, some of it's new and I'm writing it off the cuff, but I've been writing for a long time without sharing any of it because I've, you know, been writing two different books. And so I'm like, why not start just putting that out there? I think it's a great idea. Yeah. So this was your first entry. Okay. Um, Journey of a Thousand Steps starts with one First step. entry. You know, it's interesting how to choose what the first entry should be well, of we're, anything. We're going to talk about that. Okay. I just misspoke. Journey of a Thousand Miles begins with a single step. So this was your offering of a single step. Okay. It's called Point to the Moon. This is uh, by Kathy Kasani Adams. Should I read the quote that <laughs> sure. you in, in, introduced it to? Because I was even confused with that until I wasn't. Okay. The quote was, the opposite of faith is not doubt, but certainty. Certainty is missing the point entirely. Anne Lamont, mm-hmm. one of your favorite writers. Yes. Some are so inspired by a message that they teach it like ideology. Instead of using it to enhance critical thinking or feeling, 
They teach as if it's the final answer, rather than reminding people to live inside the questions. Ideology can offer guideposts for learners, but there is not one way or one right path to a good life. As parents, we need to be careful of not becoming addicted to one perspective or path. And as learners, we need to question anyone who says they have all the answers. The role of the parent or teacher is to be there when someone needs guidance or support. But humility is crucial. We do not always know what is best for other people. And we shouldn't expect others to follow by replicating our path or experience. Then we can support rather than dictate and embody the quote attributed to the Buddhist monk. How do you pronounce his name? Uh, it's Bodhavista. Is that Bodhiyarma? Bo- oh, Bodhiyarma. Bodhiyarma. Sorry about that. Anyways, to the <laughs> Buddhist monk who may, may or may not be listening. Well, and let me say before you read the quote, it is attributed to that person. Got but it. it is. I had to do a lot of research to because I've heard the quote a ton in my life. But that's who people attribute it to. But if someone knows something else, you let me know. And here's the quote. I am a finger pointing at the moon. Don't look at me. Look at the moon. In this metaphor, my darling, uh-huh. what is the moon? The moon is is happiness, love, success, life, uh, point of view, perspective, um, you know, internal guidance. It's basically... We, the moon is what we want out of our life, right? What the hope is for life. And again, if we want to just condense it, love, mm-hmm. you know, but when we're teaching love, we don't say, just do what I say and do what I do. We point to love and say, there are many paths to get there, right. many different paths. So the finger pointing uh-huh. is are the teacher's. The finger pointing are the teachers and and society and culture and whatever. Including this podcast, including any books, including any thought leaders. Mm -hmm. Those are all people that we may be inspired by. Sure. But ideology, you talk about that, I think, in the first paragraph, is dangerous. It can be. It can be dangerous. Why? Well, ideology can be dangerous if, as I said in the first paragraph, if we use it as at an absolute. If we look at ideology and say, this is literally what it says, therefore that's what I do. And um, what ideology is supposed to be, the, the goal of information, I'll use that word instead, is to allow you to live inside all the questions. It allows you to have information, to look at things differently, to um, to challenge your thinking, to see another's perspective, you know, to look at something through another lens, to continue to learn and grow. Ideology becomes dangerous when we stop, when we say, that's it, it's over, that's it. Hmm. What and, if the it, I'm being devil's advocate, yeah. is love? Like, that is it. Well, and this is where it gets really paradoxical. Like, I, I will entertain these questions from you all day because these are, this is the questions we're talking about. Sure. Live inside the questions. So let me explain it this way. I was just saying to Todd, I have so many, I don't know where to go with this, but I'll start with this. I was just telling Todd about 
One thing that saved me when I went through experiences of being too focused on ideology was figuring out what my grounding agents really are in life. So what are the things that I can count on no matter what, in any circumstance, no matter what book I'm reading, no matter what experience I'm having with another, what can I put my feet on and know that I'm grounded no matter what? And, you know, won't be surprising to you that those are the grounding agents of Zen Parenting Radio, which is connection, compassion, mindfulness, and self-awareness. Those things never change. They are important in every aspect of being. Um, They they are like what I return to. And I feel like embedded in all of those grounding agents is love, Mm. okay? Because love is too big. And love is a word in the English dictionary. Like what is love? Love is is a word, but- the you know it's like the Tao like you can't the minute you name it it's, it's not gone. what it is and love to me is universe we mm. came from love it's mm. and, and again to some people love is romantic love and you know I don't need to be again this is my whole point I don't need to be the definer yeah. of language for anybody I offer the way I see it and then hopefully that gives someone perspective to look at the way they see things and to create with their internal compass the way they relate to the word. Like, I think the reason, and I'm just going to jump into the middle of this because there's no way around it to discuss this. The reason that this is so important to me um, and the reason I chose this to start out. That was going to be one of my questions. Yes, is because, and and by the way, in the book, this is like 10 pages long. Oh, wow. I just had to condense that into an essay. So in the book that's coming out next year mm-hmm. called Zen Parenting, mm-hmm. this is a 10-page chapter. Uh, or, or it's, it's part it's part of the yeah. book and it's correct okay. because there's a lot that I explain about my own experience which is that as somebody who and there's a lot of different reasons for this not everybody's going to follow the same pattern that I did but as somebody who grew up wanting to please and being unsure about whether my viewpoint was right based on a lot of things, my education, being a woman in society, relationships I'd been in, um, friendships I'd been in, I had kind of, it's kind of like the story of, you know, when I was in kindergarten, I'd raise my hand no matter what. And by the time I got to fourth grade, I would look around the room Mm -hmm. before I'd raise my hand. Mm -hmm. So take that analogy and take that into the world. And what you end up doing is looking around to validate whether or not what you're saying is correct. What that leads to, or what that led to for me was looking to other people or figures for information. And that started very, and and again, not all of this is bad. Like we live in the gray with me here of that it gets quote unquote bad when you're on the edges, when you're in the fringes or the binary, because it it started with me with, as I've spoken on the show, like starting the whole self-help journey with Wayne Dyer, Mm -hmm. right? I'm about 16 or 17 years old. I finally hear something that resonates really strongly, which is his teachings of a more, he used to be more psychologically inclined back then, and then he became more spiritually inclined, but a different way to live. That That you were not hearing from uh -uh, anywhere else. Never had heard it before. It was about what's going on inside of you. It was simple things like go out into the world and smile. And you'll feel better and other people will feel better. And I'm like, damn, that works. Mm -hmm. And having those like, it was so basic, but I was shifting. I was shifting. And then when you start that path, like anybody, it's like any education, um, you know, you find new teachers and new teachers. And some of the teachers are amazing and remain amazing for me. And some of them were not. And some of them 
tapped into something that I was giving off, which was give me answers, tell me what to think and feel. And some people loved that. And that gave them an opportunity to, um, you know, to, to tell me how to think or control or to, um, give me black and white kind of ideology or the worst. And this is what I see in my community, my self-help spiritual community lot is to offer me a specialness that other people didn't have. You, it's like a spiritual narcissism Mm -hmm. where you're like, if you do these things and you think this way, you're you're better than everybody else. I mean, even if it wasn't said that bluntly, that's what happens to us when we read a self-help book sometimes and we're like, oh my God, I get this and nobody else gets this and I'm pretty special. Yeah. Okay. So as you can tell, I'm being very general because I still feel like a lot of these pieces are my story. And I, you know, do you know what I mean? Sure. There's still people out there who experienced this with me or who were the people who um, were part of this story. Sure. Um, but I also experienced this, you know, we talked last week with Ali Solomon, Dr. Alexandra Solomon about dominance is not strength. And I also experienced the same kind of thing when I was in certain relationships, one of them being uh, very emotionally abusive, is that it's the same kind of thing of that you look to somebody else to validate your existence. I see this with my college students who are either in gangs or who have gotten out of gangs. Why do they get into a gang? Family, belonging, validating of existence, a sense of I have purpose. This is what I believe in. Um, I've done enough reading about, um, and I'm, we all have probably at this point, about white supremacy. Why? Belonging, sense of purpose, sense of um, validation, and that they have a, a perspective on the world, an ideology that allows them to think they're better than others. Um, so... As you can see, all of these ideas, if it be, and and my favorite, which, you know, with my whole family knows, is cults, which all of these are little cults in themselves, right? right? But I, I got so excited this morning because I listened to this podcast with uh, Mike Rinder and Leah Remini who talk about Scientology and the aftermath. And today they interviewed... Um, this guy, Mark, who's from Nexium, which is a cult that is being focused on in the HBO Max uh, series, The Vow, which I have been completely in, like, just so involved in watching. And so having the Scientology people talk to the Nexium people, I'm like, oh my gosh, this podcast. It's And the thing is, is I'm not interested in cults per se for like the point my finger and look at those people. It's because I understand why people get involved in those things. These are people, these are good people who want to do good things, who want to belong, and they get sucked in by a leader or an organization that that takes that desire and controls them. And uses it against them. You got it. Yeah. And so wh- how does this show up in a Zen parenting moment? I have a lot of personal experience with this, obviously, So, and I can talk more about that later. But even as parents on the more micro level, we look at our kids and instead of realizing they have their own perspective and their own way of seeing the world and their own sense of being, we tell them how to be. Mm-hmm. We inadvertently, by thinking it's loving, control them. 
And we tell them, this is what you should think. This is what you should do. This is what you should follow. This is who we are. If you're going to be an Adams, this is what needs to happen. And we do that because maybe we learned that, or maybe we experienced that, or even some of us had a, and I'm putting this in quotes, good experience with that. Like, look how successful I am because I followed these rules. But what we're missing in the process is the human being in front of us who does not is not us. So I'm going to throw you a curveball here. Sure, go ahead. So I listened, I listened to a whole bunch of, what I like to do is bring all these different things that I'm interested in into the parenting realm. Like I honestly, this sounds weird. I get bored with parenting podcasts or parenting books because I know what- I don't think you and I, either of us listen to many of yeah, them at all. Yeah. I, I like, so what I'm about to do is play a, a clip from a Freakonomics podcast. Oh, great. Um, and- the title of this podcast is Don't Neglect the Thing That Makes You Weird. And the one of the Freakonomics guys interviews Ken Jennings. Do you know who Ken Absolutely. Jennings is? Absolutely. He's the Jeopardy guy. He's the Jeopardy guy. Mm-hmm. I listened to the whole thing. Thought it was fascinating. At the end of the interview, um, the interviewer, I forget, I'm sorry, I forget the guy's name. I was asked uh, Ken Jennings questions about parenting. Now, like, is Ken any more qualified to tell us about parenting than you or you or I or anybody listening? Probably not, but I was just interested to hear it. And what he is about to say is similar to what you just said. Okay. And before, before you go into it, as you get sure. it geared up here, because I don't want to lose that thread is this is exactly what I'm talking about. Parenting is not parenting. Parenting is relationship with people. Parenting is self-awareness. You know, we, when you're saying I don't really listen to parenting podcasts, but I'm going to play this Freakonomics, Freakonomics is parenting. It's the entertainment podcasts I listen to are parenting. Um, The movies I watch, the music I listen to, all of them help us investigate our inner workings and how we perceive ourselves in the world. And then that's how we show up as parents. So when someone's just giving us tips on say this, do this with your kids, that's ideology. These things help us investigate the questions about what it means to be a parent. So I just didn't want to lose that thread. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, So Steve Levitt is the interviewer. He's one of the Freakonomics guys. And so he starts asking the question, then Ken Jennings responds. And we would both be equally engaged in I, I lied. That's Ken Jennings' voice. Building the Lego or watching the show or going to the science museum or, or whatever it was. So we could definitely find a lot of places where there was parody of attention. I, I've always thought that one of the most important parts of parenting was knowing maybe what your hopes and dreams are for the kids. And that ends up dictating a lot of the way that you raise them. So what kind of hopes and dreams do you carry for your children? <sighs> You know, that's so tricky because at first you think, you know, you kind of by default think they are your hopes and dreams. And you you kind of have to let go of that and just work it back to basic principles. My core advice about raising children is you think you have control and they are absolutely who they are out of the box. If you didn't realize it with your first kid, you'll realize it if you have a second kid because they will be raised in almost exactly the same environment apart from the older sibling. And they will 100% be their own people because they just came out of the tap that way. Like, you know, you realize really what you have to do is just let them be themselves and incorporate that into the culture of the family so that nobody feels like the outsider. Uh, And so, like, what are the essentials of the culture of your family? You know, like your hopes and dreams for your kids might be like that they can retain a sense of humor no matter what happens or that they treat other people with respect by default or that they honestly say what they're feeling 
instead of putting up a front. You know, things like this might be better hopes and dreams than I hope my kid one day gets into Juilliard. Exactly. So I Boom. Boom. So it's interesting because right off the bat, and Ken speaks to this, mm-hmm. the the interviewer, the question in itself isn't correct. What are your hopes and dreams for your kid? And then you parent them that way. Now, I understand what he's saying. I'm not being critical. I know all he's trying to say is have some perspective on what you would like to do Mm -hmm. as you raise these children. But as Ken spoke to, you don't take your hopes and dreams and apply them to your child. The hopes and dreams, unless your hope and dream is that your child realizes who they are Mm -hmm. and thrives from that perspective, because... I 100% agree and have experienced personally what Ken just said about our children come out as they are. I mean, you know, it's so funny. You just texted me or your sister texted us a picture of my middle daughter from when she was like three or four. And then we were kind of like, we have this family text chain. So we were kind of sending the picture to each other and, you know, being cute about how cute she is. That little girl is exactly who my daughter is. Mm-hmm. Like that little, we used to call her little buggy. Yeah. That is Cameron. And she's been that way since, just like JC has been JC and Skylar has been Skylar. And my niece Maddie's been Maddie and Max has been Max. Like they came out, that feel, that vibe that they had when they came out, the way that they acted and that is who they are. Well, and that's why I have a picture of myself on my vision board next to my desk. Uh, And you do too. I do. Uh, When I was a seven-year-old kid and it looked like I just came in from being outside and I was, my face is kind of dirty and I think I got like a scab on my nose from just, and that person is still inside of me. So I feel like that's a wonderful reminder, but I guess I want to not challenge you, sweetie, but uh, explore what are your hopes and dreams? I think it is a very valuable question for me. And we've even started parenting presentations on this, like, you know, cause we always ask that question, what do you want for your kids? And everybody always says you want them to be happy. And I, I don't think that because that's not being a whole human being, happiness. But the reason I think it's a valuable question is because I think a lot of us just parent off the cuff and we don't really have a plan and we don't know what we're doing. I feel like if we can answer what that question is, begin with the end in mind, Stephen Covey, and then kind of backtrack and see how you are behaving in front of your kids and is is what you're doing really influencing that whatever quote unquote goal that you have for your kids. Like for me, what I want my kids to be is to be whole, to have, you know, all their emotions to, to not just be happy. That's, that's a silly thing. That's not called, that's not being a human being. I used to say, I want my kids to be kind, but they're not always going to be kind. They're sometimes going to be mean. And can I love my kids just as much when they're mean? And and that's like making the bi- the the polarity between kind and mean. There's a million things in between there. There's bold. There's courageous. There's, you know, not standing up for themselves. And that isn't mean or kind. Right. That's an in-between of, like, strength. Um, and, you know, Todd, to your point, like you just said, it's a good idea but then he needs to re- rephrase that question. It's almost, and, and this is kind of, go ahead, sorry. The, the question needs to be rephrased as, what are your hopes and dreams for yourself as a parent? Yeah. Not what are your hopes and dreams for your kids? Well, this is another curveball, but like what, you know, we talk, you know, sex is one of the taboo topics for most parents talking to their kids. And we always talk about like, because we've done sex presentations for parents 
what do you, what kind of sex life do you want your kids to have? Mm-hmm. Like, that's an important question. Do you want them to be as shame filled as you were when you were growing up? Or are you going to hope that they're more responsible and open about it? So like, once again, I, I feel like it's a valuable question and you know, like, you know, this is like a math term, but it's like reverse engineering. If this is what I want, how do I, I want my kids to have a wonderful, um, relationship with sex. How do I do that? Well, one of the things that we, that we do is we talk openly about it. It's not something hidden. It's not something that, you know, is ignored. So anyways. Well, and again, we're, we're agreeing, Yeah. but it's the, it's the way the question the is The framework phrased. of the question. Because you, what you're saying is exactly what I'm saying, which is what do you want um, and again, I guess I will agree with you, you know, what do you hope for your children? Right. Right. What do you hope for your children in the more, um, in a more open way? Like what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I'm looking for the word, like in a grander way, like not what do I hope for them? Like where they go to college, but what are my hopes for them in how they perceive the world and how they experience life and how they perceive themselves? And what you're trying to say is that the only way to, and I'm putting this in air quotes, teach them that is to live it, mm-hmm. is to, we can't, we, if we show up and say, I'm going to teach you a different thing. Um, I'm a very anxious person. No, I'm, I'm making this up. I'm not talking about myself. I'm a very anxious person and I don't want you to be anxious. My goal is for you not to be anxious. So I'm going to talk you out of your anxiety while I do nothing about my own. It, it's not going save, to work. Save your breath. Save your breath yeah. because they are moving through your home and through the world, not listening to you, but watching how you live. Mm-hmm. Now, having anxiety isn't the issue. It's your acknowledgement of it and how you process it and how you move with it and the help you ask, the, the help you ask, when you ask for help. Like, I definitely experience anxiety. I've definitely experienced depression. I've definitely experienced grief all, several, several times as I've had, you know, since I've had kids. And I have no problem, like, talking about that with my kids, but I don't pretend it's, I never pretend it's not there. I say, this is what I'm doing and this is the help I'm receiving and this is why it hurts. Like we just had in our own family, somewhat traumatic experience in the last couple of weeks. And I will tell you that our methodology with um, my daughter has been communicate, talk, communicate, and not in a pressure filled way, but in this, this is on the table 24 seven. So if you want to bring it up in the middle of nowhere, go ahead. Yeah. If uh, I'm going to ask you questions about it, if you don't want to talk about it, fine. But it's we talk about you have to keep that energy moving through your body of the feelings you're having. And if you don't do that, your children can't learn that just through, I mean, maybe they'll have peers or a coach or a grandparent that can support them in that. Like, you know, it takes a village, right? Sure. But the idea that we're like, well, I was shy as a kid and I'm still shy, but I'm going to make my kid be an extrovert. That's not how it works. Right. You got to, you got to live it. Um, I want to talk about our partner and then maybe about the quote that you shared at the beginning of this post. Um, care.com. They are the world's largest online destination for finding and managing family care. They help millions of families in high quality, find high quality care for their children, aging loved ones, home and pets. Sweetie, do you have any experience with Care.com? I do. So Care.com has been connected to our podcast for a while, and we always used to talk about the babysitting services and services for kids. But then when my mom needed services um, because she was in the she had beginning um, of dementia, 
I was able to go to care.com and find caregivers for seniors too. And then I just heard you say pets. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know that. So care.com is like all encompassing. 24 hour care, errands, transportation, medical aid, companionship. Uh, We have premium membership and you should get one too. To save 30% off of a care.com premium membership, visit care.com slash zen, or you can simply use promo code zen. So thank you to care.com. You ready for your quote? Yes. This is this made me a little confused, but now I get it. Okay. The opposite of faith is not doubt, but certainty. Certainty is missing the point entirely. So when I first read that, I'm like, hold, okay, hold on a second. The opposite is something not doubt. And so the opposite of faith is not doubt, but certainty. So certainty in this sentence structure is not a good thing. Correct. So would, does that mean that doubt is a good thing? Absolutely. Got it. So what this is teaching is that doubt is good, certainty is bad. Not, you know... Yeah, you're being very binary. So there's, Welcome to my brain. Well, exactly. But that's what I'm talking about right now. Binary can exist. It exists, but we have to live inside of it or outside of it or between it. Well, if you think about it, like I'm thinking of my Catholic school, you know, faith is... Faith is certainty. So I'm, 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 I think I'm exemplifying your point. You just have to believe. Well, you just have to believe with certainty that Jesus died and he rose three days later and all this other no, stuff. No, that's certainty, though. That's not faith. The way I was taught, that's what faith is. Correct. But when you really break down those words, that's faith is the belief in something that you don't fully understand that's mysterious that you can't see. What you're saying to me is you were told this is the way, and that's certain. I was taught a different interpretation of the word faith Correct. than what Anne Lamont is saying. Correct. So I'm just that's I'm just trying to own that is you know, for me growing up, faith means yeah, you just believe. You just right. believe. Right. And what and this is and again, this is where we break down words. This, you know what I said in the um so let me explain it this way. Let me use another Anne Lamott quote, okay, about faith, okay. just to kind of, because this is what I mean about living inside the questions, mm-hmm. is that there is no, even though we like to use periods at the end of our sentences and say, okay, that chapter's closed and I've got closure on this, everything is always wide open, right? Everything, the one thing we can depend on in life is change. Mm-hmm. And so there are certain things, there are foundational elements, but those foundational elements in themselves are changeable and movable. So what Anne Lamont is doing, I know, you're, I know yeah. you're about to read the quote, is turning the definition of faith on its head because I just Googled it and faith is a complete trust or confidence in someone or something. So, and Anne Lamont talks about, and this, this resonates much more with me, faith includes noticing the mess, the emptiness and discomfort and letting it be there until some light returns. So when I have faith, I will give you an example. Mm-hmm. When I... Was I've had moments, you know, since 2016, since the election, um, where things have seemed really bad, and I, I think we're kind of still in that. Yeah. Um, and I've been like, I don't understand how this is going to be resolved because all of my regular pathways have been exhausted, mm-hmm. either in my mind or through our actual judicial and you know legislative system. Sure. So how is this going to be resolved? And my moment is. I'm going to choose faith, which is I have no idea, I have no certainty about it, but I do know that there's always light. Mm. And so maybe that's the certainty is the light. And the faith 
is that I can't see the light, just like there's clouds. Yeah, but it's still there. But the light is above the clouds. The sun. So I just don't know. So faith to me is respecting that there's messiness and respecting that things are hard, but that light is possible. So funny because I, I, for some reason, this just showed up and I don't, and I feel like this, once again, I'm going back to my Catholic school days, belief without evidence. Mm -hmm. Like that for, for me, like that is, but what you just explained is that you can't see it, but you know, the sun is behind the clouds. Correct. There's no evidence that the sun is on the other side of the clouds but you just believe that it's up there. So it is the belief without evidence. Right. And even though I do have evidence that the sun is above the it's clouds, true. by the way, yeah. but what you're talking about is you're like saying, you're focusing it, like you're focusing it on Jesus, right? Yeah. The certainty that he did this and this and this and this and this and this. So maybe the faith is something there happened mm-hmm. that was mystical and spiritual and amazing and that understanding the true teachings of Jesus... For those of you who, you know, some people hear, some people say they follow Jesus, but they don't follow the teachings of Jesus at all. Yeah. Um, if you understand the teachings of Jesus, there is something mystical and magical and beyond, like the, the sense of compassion, the sense of seeing beyond, the sense of having a connection to self that we want to emulate and that we trust that something happened. But the idea that we know exactly what happened. Right. That extends that's what beyond we're talking faith. About. That's what we're that's talking a, about. That's a sense of like, like you know, when people are like Noah's Ark, and you, you know, somebody who's an absolutist is like, yeah, Noah's Ark. All the animals were on the ark, and this is, mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, could this be a story? Could this, could this be a mythological story that is teaching us something inherent about humanity that makes the story worthwhile, but doesn't need the certainty you're trying to apply to it? To be effective. I think if I kind of like maybe drill down to really, I think what we're trying to say is that nobody, no teacher, we're on a podcast, we have microphones in front of us, we're, we're sharing our thoughts. If any teacher, including you and I, believes that this is the way, que- red flag, go away, red flag, question, this is because that idea, that's not faith, that's certainty. Yes. Faith is I am an evolving, growing human being. I see, I know there's light, I know there's love, and it shows up in ways that I could have never predicted. Faith is somebody who has struggled with addiction, who I thought could never come through it, somehow has. Mm -hmm. Faith is the idea that I never thought I'd meet someone that I love or that I never thought I'd have a child. Somehow that happens, but I didn't know how it was going to happen. I didn't know the path. I didn't know the certainty is this is how it's going to be. And I have watched and experienced personally people apply certainty to things that are supposed to be mystical. Yes. And right there, it's contradictory. Right. You know, that's what happened with the secret. You know, yes. the idea that... So what's the secret? Not not everybody knows what that is. Okay. So it's an old book. It's, you know, for, for long-term seekers, you guys will know this book, you know, Rhonda Byrne wrote it and it was about if you do this, this, and this, which is like have a vision, create a vision board, you know, think about what you want, process what you want, know exactly what you want, you will automatically get it. It'll manifest. So 
thank you for using that word because that's a word that is used over and over again. Now, here's the crazy, like, this is where you have to live the questions. I believe in manifestation. I have vision boards all over the place, but I don't believe it literally. Mm -hmm. I don't have the certainty that if I put up this board that somehow I'm magically going to get a book deal. What I believe in is I, for myself, want to be clear about what I want so I know what direction to go in and I know what's most important to me. It's not about the world giving me something I need. And let's talk about the the way people received the secret. Correct. They received it as this is the way. Correct. And they just, yeah. And then I just listened to a talk about like, you know, gurus and... Um, you know, cults. I just listened to a podcast a couple of weeks ago called The Guru, and it was about a guy named James Ray, James Arthur Ray, who was a part of The Secret. He was like in the movie and in the book. And he talked of, you know, talked this whole talk about manifestation and everything. And he ended up, you know, having a following because he was on Oprah and everything. And he ended up like bringing groups of people to this sweat lodge. And basically telling them how to feel and telling them not to leave and telling them that this was their path to enlightenment and several of them died, mm -hmm. okay? I'm using this as an extreme, but the reason I I listen to these things and read these things is I'm that fringe element is so much closer than we think, meaning we have to watch and trust in our own inner knowing. The podcast that I was listening to today, you know, the Nexium Scientology one, the work of any cult or abuser or organization that wants to control you, what they do is along the, in the process, they teach you how to not trust yourself. They teach you to, they gaslight you. So this is happening in politics right now too. Mm -hmm. They say to you, you're not seeing what you're seeing. You're not feeling what you're feeling. You're, this is not what you're experiencing. And you distrust yourself so much that you end up following the ideology rather than your own internal compass. Now, here's the good news, everybody. Your internal compass will never go away. It can be dampened, repressed, pushed down. An abuser can, from can, you. can make it so hard to find. But another group of people that I study are people who leave cults who have were born into them. You know, like the Megan Phelps Roper, who uh, Megan Roper Phelps, who we always talk about, who left the Western Bass Baptist Baptist Church. Yeah, she was born into this church, and they're the people who stand in front of funerals and have horrible, you yeah, know, signs. signs. Yeah. And she left because her internal compass was awakened. Mm -hmm. And there are people who are born into other, you know, organization and cults that that know this is not right, and that not rightness, that that feeling, every human being has that, including, let's bring it down to parenting again, your children have it. And our job as parents is not to tell them how to think and who to be, but to help them trust that piece of themselves and to stand back because that piece of themselves may teach them um, may not teach them that piece of themselves may inform their sexuality. Mm -hmm. It may inform their career choice. It may inform their, um, you know, their gender identification. It will inform their, their friendships and why we have to stand back is all of that is good, but we get in the way of, I don't want you to be this or that or this. And so I'm going to tell you, you're not, 
Well, that's the aha I just had. Like, I think a lot of people listening, including myself, might say, well, yeah, I'd, I'm not going to subscribe to any guru. Like, I'll trust my intuition. Yet, I am the same person who thinks he knows better than his daughters to do whatever. Correct. So in other words, like, I won't subscribe to any guru above me, but I will absolutely act, think, behave. As a guru. As a guru mm-hmm. to my kids. Correct. And I feel like that's the essence of what we're trying to get at is there's certain experiences that you can share, but the idea that like we know so much better than our kids mm-hmm. is a problem. And we can know things about, you know, I'm going to help you with this process or this class, or I also used to be a dancer, or I can help you with this debate prep. It doesn't mean we don't have information. It doesn't mean that we don't say to our three-year-old, don't run out into the street or else you might get hit. Right. And again, you guys have to live in the middle with us here of the, the part that gets tricky and scary are the fringes. The in-between, that paradoxical place where it's like, is it this or is it this? It's both. That's where we have to live. And that's a super uncomfortable place for people because people love certainty. And I want to read you something ironically. that It's not ironically. I trust this completely. Is this was part of, uh, you know, I always talk about Mark Nepo's book, The Book of Awakening. Mm-hmm. And today happens to be the day we're recording this is October 7th. I know this won't, you know, hit the podcast feed till next week. Yeah. But today, this was, you know, prior to taping the show, this was his entry today. It says, it is so tempting to want answers before we begin the journey. We like to know our way. We like to have maps. We like to have guides. But we are more like a breathing puzzle, a living bag of pieces. And each day shows us a piece or two and what it's for, where it might go, how it might fit. And over time, a picture starts to emerge by which we begin to understand our place in the world. And his quote above all this was, we come with all these parts and no instructions on how they go together. Life is the process of learning how to put pieces together. And guess what? Sometimes they break apart. We get our heart broken. We are, you know, our marriage falls apart. We lose a job. We have a pandemic. But we then learn how to put pieces back together. And if we follow a really rigid path, that in itself is going to crumble. Anything too rigid. And I have had my heart broken a number of times by teachers, and I'm putting that in quotes, that I have followed that have broken my heart either in the fact that they have abused me Mm. or I've watched them abuse others or their rigidity took them down or their greed took them down. And I'm still watching people around me, people I care about who are... uh, Subscribing to a certain thing. Correct. And and it's difficult. So I just had this kind of flash. We had a Zen talk this week. Uh-huh. And one of the moms, I'm not going to say her name, uh, is struggling with the way her daughter is dressing. Correct. Which we all can either relate, relate yeah. to, or if you can't relate to it yet, you will if you have a daughter, I'm guessing. And you're talking about the middle and how it's, that is such a perfect metaphor or example for what the middle means, because does that mean that we're going to let our kids go to school in a bikini? Of course not. Um, but is there something about, you know, the, the title of it was crop tops, mm-hmm. like her daughter's wearing crop tops and it's making her and her husband a little uncomfortable. Well, they're questioning, they're questioning like it. how much should we? Well, at the think? same time, she also said, my daughter has pink hair and we allowed her, allow her to express herself. 
I don't know what the right answer is. I don't, I don't, there's no way I can know the right answer because I'm not her. I'm not her husband. I'm not her child. We don't live in her town. We don't live in her town. We don't know what it's like to be a kid. Like, you know, we think we know what it's like to be a kid because we were once a kid. Yeah, we were once a kid in the 70s and the 80s. Um, and to be a kid in 2020 is a completely different ballgame. So, and just the fact that this mom was asking these questions, that's all we want to do is ask these questions. Like what's the right answer here? Instead of dogmatically or with certainty saying, you are not going to wear this because that's not what we do in this family. That's just shutting everything down. So I, I just thought of that. Like, that's such a wonderful example of, you know, the gray that has to happen when we're trying our best to relate to these young people that we brought into this world. Well, and this is a difficult discussion because we learned that to be a good parent, you're supposed to have all the answers. Yeah. And that was never the truth. The To be a good parent, you have to live inside questions. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying that over and over again on purpose. You live inside questions and you bring in, and there will be parents listening to me that I can hear them because I work with them all the time. Well, I'm not going to do that because then my kid will walk all over me. Well, that's ridiculous. Then who's in control? Then they'll run the house. Then they'll walk. This is our defense system saying, I have to be in control or I'll lose control. Like I, I know the feelings I live them, you know, we all do. Well, even for the parent who says that they have to be in control, you can say that you don't, we don't have any control over another human being. Right. As I've said in the past, hopefully we have some influence, but no. And I feel like we try to double down on this this misperception that we're in control. We're not in control of diddly squat. Well, exactly. And we, and that whole idea of I am dominant, I win, you listen to me. There are times like that. And I'm, again, I'm doing a lot of air quotes today. A lot of air quotes. A lot of air quotes. I can say anything. Um, Where it's like you, it worked. Like you, you, you laid down the law and it worked. And I'm putting that in air quotes, but it's always like what in that process though was lost. Mm -hmm. What, when you did something that worked, did, did your child then learn to trust themselves? Did they learn to know themselves better? Did you, was it really because of you? You need a big or, picture of what it means ex- for something to work. Exactly. And this is, uh, my friend Annie posted this today and I want to read it. It says, if you're over 45 and you don't have an under 30 mentor, not a mentee, but a mentor, yeah. then you're going to miss fundamental shifts in thinking that are happening. What she's trying to say is just because we're a certain age doesn't mean we have all the information. Mm. Our children have information and I go to them. Like I, you know, girls, what's happening with this? What's, what do you think about this? What is, what are, what is your processing about this? Um, you know, and when it came to clothes, cause I have three teenagers, t- teenage girls, they initially, I remember the first uh, dance that JC went to and the dress she wanted. I was like, huh, I don't think I would have ever worn that. I think it was one of those like half and half, like where your stomach was exposed. Yeah. And I was like, hmm. And I really had to talk to her, like, tell me, like, show me the magazine or show me the other dresses. And I had to be introduced to what the style is today and have an understanding that the common that this isn't me telling my kid what to wear, but me moving in time with my children. Because the thing I was telling the mom yesterday was that I'm seeing two extremes with this generation. Either they wear, you know, tight crop top shirts, and I'm talking about girls, mm. or they wear huge Billie Eilish sweatshirts. Yeah. So they're not always exposing their body. Yeah. It's like there's 
and is exposing their body a problem. Well, and there was uh, one of our friends had a kid who had an Instagram post that, you know, us old people in our 40s took some exception to, and we showed it to our daughters, and they had a completely different reaction. Correct. And that's exactly what I mean about I bring my daughters in on this conversation. Not to say, tell me if I'm right or wrong, but to say, let's have this conversation. Because do I have wisdom too? Yeah. Mm. Like one thing I've shared with my daughters when they're making... um, clothes choices is I understand that's the trend and I understand that you feel good in that. And I hear that. I also want you to know if your chest is the most prominent thing because of the clothes you're wearing, it will be more likely that that is what people will look at. So you just have so to, you, know. you just have to know that, yeah. that if you are going to, if your chest is going to be really prominent, then it, eye contact may be more difficult and you have to understand both things at once that it is about wearing what you want to wear, but you also have to understand impact. Mm-hmm. And, and and that doesn't, I'm not saying here's the answer. I'm saying, can we live in that question? Yeah. And then they find their own place in there yeah. of like, you know, success and failure. Like sometimes an outfit works out and sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes they learn something from it. And that's the point. Like, you know, as... You know, I feel like I said this last week too, but if, as uh, Dory said to Nemo's dad, like if nothing ever happens to your kid, then nothing ever happens to them. Mm -hmm. Like some, they have to have some experiences where they learn. Yeah. And we just want to bubble wrap them. I know. Yeah. Um, So I talked about uh, the Zen talk, Um, the title of our 103rd Zen talk that we just did last week uh, was called, I don't know if you noticed this, sweetie. I called it masturbation, crop tops and IEPs. Uh, because one of our one of these things is not like the other one of one of the listeners had a three-year-old daughter who's rubbing herself in the living room and all that so we had a discussion like what does that mean how do we navigate through that very normal thing that most parents have to deal with it so um and then um one of the things i want to talk about regarding our team zen is we're one of the things cool about being a part of it is you get access to people that Kathy and I are holding pretty high regard. And uh, we already have uh, a date planned with Rosalind and we're working on it with Alexandra Solomon. So, so, so what he means is that they will be joining Team Zen for a talk. For a talk. So only people on Team Zen, they get to ask questions and have an interaction with this person who has a lot of wisdom. So if you're interested, go to uh, zenparentingradio.com. Uh, we do a Zen Talks twice a month. We've done 103 of them. The minute you join, you get access to all 103. Uh, zero pressure, 100% support, 25 bucks a month. Uh, first month is free if you type in the coupon code FRIEND. Um, and then uh, Jeremy Kraft, he's a bald-headed beauty, uh, painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area, 630-956-1800. Um, anything else that you want to go over, sweetie? Well, I just want to end with this thought okay. so we can kind of sum this up and realize we're all on the same page together or that we're all living this experience together is, you know, as we go through life, a lot of us feel like we have a lot of holes and gaps as Todd always does. I got gaps. <laughs> you got gaps. Together we got gaps. And even Rocky Balboa has gaps. And sometimes those holes can feel so painful. And those holes can be traumas or things that reasons we don't feel good enough or why we feel like we don't belong or ways that we're not connecting or not relating. Those feel like holes. And sometimes it can be really enticing (laughs) to find a person, organization, group, cult, religion, political affiliation that makes us feel like we can fill in all those holes, that we will have answers, that we will belong, that we will not need to worry about the things we used to worry about. 
But those kind of controlling or specific certainty ideology, that's like counterfeit information. That That's filling up your holes with sugar. Mm. And it's going to be fleeting and it's not real. And then when you eventually, hopefully pull out of that, you realize that those holes are still there and that that's part of being a human being. Mm. So how do we, re- inst- and that sugar that was filling it up was not sustaining. Yeah. And so what do we do with that? We connect with each other on that. We're vulnerable about those parts of ourselves. We realize that those are our like soft, gentle parts and that they don't need to go away, but that they're part of what keep us engaged in these discussions and allow us to have faith and allow us to see a new perspective and have empathy is because we have these openings and these this air to breathe yeah. that lives inside of us. And so when you feel like, well, I've got a lot of gaps and I have challenges, I'm saying, me too. And so does Todd. And so does every single person we meet. And that you don't have to fill it up. You can just engage in the questions. Yeah. And you can just trust that, you know, I've used this quote twice in the last couple of days for different reasons, but, you know, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. Enlightenment only means glimpses of something we have faith in, glimpses of our oneness, glimpses of our connection. And before you have those glimpses, you, you're you a human being. And after you have those glim- glimpses, you're a human being. Yeah. It doesn't, it, you know, anybody that says they're enlightened and therefore are better than other people, that's a red flag. Yeah. So we are all human beings together. And I hope you're on this journey with us that we continue to point to the moon, but know that there's many different paths to that moon yeah. and that we can trust ourselves and our children to find their way. Boom. Drop the mic, sweetie. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Keep on trucking. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode and feel free to leave a five-star review on iTunes. It helps people find us. Also subscribe and review our pop culturing podcast, a Gen X viewpoint on movies and TV with an emphasis on personal growth and self-awareness. It's basically the flip side of Zen Parenting Radio. Do you want more Zen Parenting? Check out our third podcast, otherwise known as Team Zen. One of our team members described it as an advice column meets group help meets like-minded community. With your $25 subscription, you get two live Zen talks with an opportunity to ask us live questions, plus a Facebook community where you can interact or just listen to like-minded parents. If you can't join us live, you can still access all the Zen talks through the Team Zen podcast app. Zen Parenting Conference 2020 is February 28th and 29th. We'll be discussing sex ed, gender, anxiety, neurodiversity, and healthy relationships. Go to zenparentingconference.com to get your tickets. Interested in inviting us to speak at your conference or organization? Go to zenparentingradio.com and submit a speaker request. And while you're there, check out our upcoming events or you can purchase one of my three books. If you ever shop via Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link under the Support Us link on our homepage. It doesn't cost anything to you, but we get a small commission from Amazon. And guys, I have a one-on-one coaching practice. It's called Coaching for Guys. You want to achieve a better work-life balance or deepen your relationships with loved ones? We can talk in person, phone, FaceTime, you choose. And don't forget about Tribe Men's Group. We have a virtual community from men all over the world. Head on over to tribemensgroup.org or shoot me an email at Todd at zenparentingradio.com. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. 
Finally, I want to give a special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty, and the company he has is Avid. They do painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Go to avidco.net or give them a call at 630-956-1800. Thanks for all your love and support, and keep on trucking.